We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And after yesterday's episode, I was chuckling to myself a bit. The very fact that we were having a conversation about the necessity of Wenyan Gabriel to help us get more functional lineups on the floor really speaks to how precipitous our fall has been this season. And one of the things from being a Laker fan, especially because our rises and falls are just different in nature than any other team, is we've seen a few of those throughout our lifetimes uh, and from different perspectives, all three of us. And so in today's episode, I wanted to kind of get into that and figure out what we've learned from those rises and falls in the past that maybe could apply to today. Because I think that how steep the fall is and how quick the rise is afterward, the Lakers have a great deal of control over how severe that is. But it's quite obvious that this season has been a fall. And so the ICS is having, I think, three different major rises and falls over the course of of my lifetime. First was Showtime, which was effectively ended by Magic's sudden retirement. So that was a sudden fall, right? It was unexpected. The Lakers were in the finals in 91. I don't know if they would have been able to, you know, get one of those chips that the Bulls won, but the notion that they were a title contender immediately went away the moment that Magic retired. Then there were two, you know, then then there was the mid-90s rise, right, with the Lake Show teams that eventually got Shaq, and that culminated in a championship that then ended, I think, when we traded Shaq. That was the, the fall, kind of the end of that era. Then we saw another one be born in 2008, and Mike, that's when you joined the, the show and got to see kind of that rise, and that culminated in back-to-back championships. Championship! That's right. And then I think the fall... At the end of that was the 2013 season. It ended with Kobe's injury. And so we've seen a lot over the course of our lives, D. There's a group of friends I was telling before the season 
that every franchise gets the death that it deserves. And I think we're in the middle of ours. And it always, it usually kind of goes the same way where we get a little too star fuckery at the end of it and we get too many names and not enough actual basketball players. And it, it always goes the same way. And the last night, it's been a nine year intervals, right? 2014 and then two, <laughs> what it was did i did i go too far on there the faces i'm, I'm, I'm getting just, i mean I'm, I'm just listening okay all right i, I would kick it to you D, to tell me i'm wrong we go, that's it's it's in our nature we have just like every other team we have our strengths we have our weaknesses whenever things go bad it's usually accompanied by we got some dudes on the team that have big names but not big game anymore and i see this as another season that's been like that but the fact that we've gone through it before means that we can learn from it there's always an attempt to expand the window i will frame it this way there was an attempt to expand the window after the lakers lost their attempt to win four straight championships they had three-peated and then the Spurs eliminated them. And the Lakers' response to that was mm-hmm. to like, no, we're jamming a crowbar into the door and we're going to keep our, we're like, we're going to keep this opportunity alive. And that was the pursuit of Malone and Peyton. Now, the Lakers did a very similar thing when they tried to acquire Chris Paul, right? That did not happen. And then they pivoted to acquiring Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. That was an attempt to supplement what was already a championship core with other big name players who were clearly near, at least with Nash and with Malone. Darius, quick, quick tangent. I heard on a pod last week and I, man, I just cannot remember which one it was, but somebody Somebody pretty good about basketball stuff suggesting that Kobe and Chris Paul wouldn't have worked. And I almost spit out my Mountain Dew. Um, and so I'm like, what? The, that would have worked perfectly. The uh, that We could do a whole pot on that, but it's like, the, oh, not all guys get along. I'm like, Devin Booker and Chris Paul get along well because Booker's got that same competitive edge. I mean, I, I, imagine anyway, being a role that. player on imagine being a role player on that team and like ever taking a night off. Like yeah. you, you, you might run from worse? Kobe's right. You might run from Kobe's wrath and right into Chris Paul's. Yeah. And they <laughs> yeah. Both, would they have been mad at each other for like missing an assignment? No, because sure. they wouldn't have as much of if they were both out there. I don't know. It, it may be well, a little it's, bit. It's good it, to be mad at each other. It's good to have that accountability, too. And somebody yeah, else right. who's yeah. also really good to be like, no, get your ass like rotate, you know? Yeah. Which we saw some even from when AD came. And he and LeBron mm-hmm. were able to do something. But anyway, I, I just wanted to say for the record, I think that have worked, would have worked quite well. Darius, back to you. So I agree with you. I remember the pod. I'm not going to call it any names at this point just because I don't feel like it. So with Nash and with Malone especially, I think that was an attempt to sort of grab at a older player. And then with Peyton, who was more in his prime, he was not – At the end of his career, he was more at the tail end of his prime than he was at the tail end of his career. And then with Dwight, who was coming off a serious injury, I think there was an attempt to sort of grab a player who could maybe contribute for multiple seasons Mm -hmm. if you were able to, to hold on to them. In both cases, it didn't work. Now, the failures of the 2000, just a side rant here, the failures of the 2004 team, the team that lost to the Pistons in the 
in the finals. The finals, yeah. That's always overblown to the extent that it pisses me off every single time. Like, oh, what an utter failure to reach the NBA finals and lose. Like, oh, yes, some teams have never even reached the conference finals. That's why I listed the Shaq trade as being that. Yes. But 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 again, I think by the time we got to that to the NBA finals, I think the age and and well, Malone like, being I mean, hurt, like I will die did. on this hill. Malone being hurt impacted the nature of that series. Whether it impacted it enough for the Lakers to actually win, that's a different story. That's a different story. And I say this all of the time that you want to have your best chance. You, you just want to have your best chance. And if you have your best chance, I will take the results as they are. If your best chance gets torpedoed by an injury, right? And so this is the difference between like the Celtics in 2010 with Kendrick, with where Kendrick Perkins is looked at as like, oh, well, the, our starting five never, it's just like, please go to hell with that. You can yeah. get all the way the hell out of here because that is not the same. That's that's not the same as losing Anthony Davis or right. Like there's a level that you have to be at. And Malone, while not an all star player by any means, was still like a double double guy who was a good defensive player who did help within the context of what the Lakers wanted to to accomplish. And especially facing a Detroit team that had so much front court depth, I think losing a front court player was especially harmful. The idea, though, Pete, of like the rise and falls, the Lakers have tried this in the past. And Mike, to me, this attempt to sort of go for a player like Russ, forget Russ, the individual player, for a second, the idea of a third star and what it took to get a third star in this instance, I feel like is a bit different than what the Lakers did in some of these other cases, because they drastically reduced their functional core of that championship group. They were no longer supplementing a championship group. What they did is, is they gutted their roster almost entirely of there were no longer any players on the team who actually contributed in a real way to the championship besides LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? THT was a holdover player, but he didn't play in the finals. I don't think he played a single minute. I don't count him in that same way. Whereas when you look at what those other groups had done, they had not gone that far. And so Mike, the fall in in this case, I think there are more details that are like, I don't want to gloss over them. The, the injuries and stuff have been really hard for this team to manage. But getting it back and to the rise part of things, I think, is is super important. So when we come back on the other side of this break, I want your thoughts on that stuff. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. All right, so the this is kind of a random example, but I remember when the Bulls, so coming off the Chicago Bulls 20... 10 11 season or i guess it would have been their their coming off of their 2009 10 season right then they had to try to figure out what were they were going to do to maximize this super promising young core right and so it's derrick rose it's joakim noah at that point luol Deng was 25 and they find a way i can't remember exactly how it works contract wise but basically the guy that they add is carlos boozer and I have since kind of grown to – when when Booz was with the Lakers, he's super fun to be around, super funny. So I have a real soft spot for Boozer now. But I remember at the time, and of course, working for the Lakers, but just watching a lot of Lee Pass, just being like, ah, I don't – I don't for the money that they have to pay him? Yeah. It's tough. Like that – You if you make – you only get when you have a roster like that, you, you get kind of like one chance, right? And so if that player that you're going to be giving that much money to has to be able to fully deliver – and of course, Rose ends up like he he played 81 games that year, um, but that ended up being kind of the fall of the Bulls more than anything when Rose gets injured eventually. But it just wasn't it wasn't enough. Boozer wasn't enough to take him over the top. And so, you know, to to now think about what were the Lakers real options and, and a lot of ink has been spilled over this last offseason. There weren't that many. And especially especially just trying to think about this year with LeBron James and how is this going to be maximized? And I, as you guys have heard me talk all throughout the season about big wings and two-way players and and having those types of guys around LeBron and AD was a formula that clearly worked really well. And that's, I think, taking into account the bubble tax that again, is a point that that I've mentioned a million times on this, but you know, what was what were they going to be able to get out of Westbrook that was going to kind of complement LeBron and AD enough? And then the other spots that they filled on the roster, was that going to be enough? And it's pretty clear, I think, now, and it's been clear as the season has gone on. I still there's part there's a part of me like we tried to talk ourselves into it in the offseason. There's there is a there's a part of that that you try and uh, and kind of wrap your mind around, but it was such a it was such a departure from what had been going on with the team. And I don't know the degree to which it matters now, other than what now can be done in the off season. If we're already pretending like the season is over, which it's not, 
And it's not. I'm, I'm still waiting for Anthony Davis to get back and seeing if they can make some noise in the plan and seeing if they can get into the eight spot and, and all that. But they're regardless, I think, of what happens there, even if they do make some unexpected run. Right. What is the direction this offseason? How closely can you get back to that formula? How closely do you want to get back to that formula? How different is it with exactly. LeBron going into next season? And and this is something I, I imagine we will spend a lot of time on uh, this when the season is actually over and we have those couple of months before free agency actually hits because the Lakers won't have a draft pick, you know? And so, yeah, it's, there's a lot there, Pete. Well, where do you want to go with it? I want to call back to the boozer example that you gave, because I think one of the fundamental questions, I'm not asking about Russell Westbrook specifically here, but the three star build versus the DN three, type of guys plus two stars that's a very different like fundamental core decision that needs to be made that i think that you can do the three-star build well but especially if you get a guy like russell westbrook that's why i thought it like several things needed to happen checkpoint wise and like none of them have we hit them i've talked a lot about the style of play and lineup stuff but we also needed guys to be healthy like I thought this regular season was really important because it wasn't a natural fit for them to get the reps and the ability to play together and and have that front court health. Because I think that when everybody is healthy in the front court, we have just enough credible minutes there to be able to be a really good team. It's just, first off, you're never going to have everybody healthy throughout the entire regular season and we've had a bit of bad luck on that front where not only have we had not had it for the entire season we've had it for very little of the season and so it exposes this really big hole that we have that said from a philosophical standpoint what do you go that three-star route versus the role players around your two stars and when i look at previous laker iterations the first version of my life was a three-star build now how they came about it was a little different and the salary cap dynamics and all of that were just it was a totally different nba with magic and worthy and kareem but the way they were acquired is sort of similar to how the efficient roster builds get built even 40 years later d in that they had kareem who was the best player in the the league the year that they drafted Magic Johnson and then they drafted James Worthy both picks were acquired through trade and so you have these younger players that are going to kind of naturally like James Worthy in 1982 or in in uh, the 83 season when he was drafted as a rookie he didn't start he was the number one pick in the draft and he was coming off of the bench now eventually he moved into that role but the point being that those younger guys kind of end up slotting in appropriately in ways that when you bring in that third guy from the outside is a totally different dynamic and so i'm curious your thoughts d on that whole idea of third star versus role players around two stars and how that works how that doesn't and just different examples throughout laker history that speak to that the thing that's tricky for the Lakers, Pete, is that in an ideal world, you get both, right? And so those Showtime Lakers teams, they had three stars and they mm-hmm. had really good role players. And one of the reasons why they had really good role role players is because, A, when they drafted Magic Johnson, they already had a really good point guard in Norm Nixon. Yes. Right? And then they ended up trading him for a rookie draft pick basically in Byron Scott and Byron Scott became like a starter for them 
and a role player through the rest of that championship run after Nixon was replaced, right? So Byron, I think, won three championships with the Lakers. The Lakers drafted Kurt Rambis. They drafted A.C. Green, right? Traded for Michael Thompson. They traded for Michael Thompson. They traded for Mitch Kupchak. They had, like, and so the idea of being able to supplement your roster, however you get what you get, there's still the need to, like, be able to acquire these other role player pieces in a way that makes sense. And those guys cannot be the discount bin 99 cent store acquisitions. They just can't like those guys are rarely going. You're rarely going to be able, you can hit on one of those or two of those. And Mike, I think this is a point that you've made several times this year. You definitely have to hit on some of those signings, but your whole roster, the whole remainder of your roster cannot be those signings. And this is where THT not quite making the leap and none yeah. seriously having the worst bone bruise apparently that mankind has ever seen within a basketball player. And that's not to like make light of Kendrick Nunn because I know for damn sure he wants to be able to play basketball, right? He didn't think like, oh, my turned ankle that I had in preseason, a turned ankle was going to turn into a bone bruise in a knee that kept him out six months. Like, that seems unfathomable, basically. But those were your two avenues outside of the minimum guys, and they haven't, one hasn't played at all, and the other one has been so up and down because he's 21 years old. In terms of that rise back up, I guess the important question is, do you want a third star or do you want, right? But I think in an ideal world, you want both. Like, and that's what I think the Lakers were going for. Like, Mike... You talked about those 2010 Chicago Bulls, like that that era Bulls. The other team, the team that ended up winning championships during that era was the Miami Heat, who came together at that same period. And they were a three-star build. And ultimately, what they did is, is they had a THT on their roster. His name was Mike Miller, right? And then the or I'm sorry, that guy was Udonis Haslam. And then they got their Kendrick Nunn type dude, and that dude was Mike Miller. That team was not good enough to win their first season, and they lost in the finals because Dirk went white hot. But the years after that, it was, it was they added a Battier, and they added a Ray Allen, and, and then now, and then they got a Birdman. And then it's just like, oh, okay. This roster is now coming together. And so I think for the Lakers, they really do need to pick a path, just like you're saying. But Mike, that idea of, oh, okay, like, I kind of like this thir- this idea of a third star. Maybe this third star isn't the s- exact guy that the Lakers need, per se. But that idea of, can we use that salary slot to get a high-talent player and then supplement that appropriately, I think that should still be on the table. But let's go to break here and let me know what you think on the other side. Darius, this is a bit of a yes and no or it depends. Basketball to me is a sport where one individual player makes enough of a difference that instead of just doing a hypothetical team build or a theoretical team build, I just have to know who the players are. And so if if you're going to give me a, okay, here's, here's roster A, here's roster B, and one of them is sort of this philosophical, 
it's three stars. It's periods, three stars, and then role players with an exception. And the other one is, you know, it's it's two stars, but then an X kind of role players. I still have to actually fill in, and I think this is what the front offices actually have to do, uh, even if they have the idea board. But then it's like, all right, well, we want the three stars, but and I think this might have happened last year. But here are the only other stars that are possibly attainable. And if that's the case, and it's not the right star, then I'm pivoting over to the flexibility of uh, the flexibility model in which I can then either just use those additional kind of three through eight guys, or I can use them to package for the right star. And that's mere, that's kind of trying to synthesize with the point I was making about Boozer. And if the right star as that third guy is out there, then that to me is almost always going to be better. But if there, if you, if you can get, three or four players that are all really good, which is how the Lakers won the title, then, then that's great too. So it just, it's just all depends on that. And real quick, Darius, you mentioned the a dollar store idea, right? So I was on the plane yesterday and I don't wear green too often. There are a couple exceptions. And this is going back where I've told the story where Mitch Kupchak saw me wearing like a green Lacoste polo my first year working for the Lakers. And was like, nah, man, nah, not, not in this hallway. It was like, I get that. Amen. I get that. Amen. I get that. So, but I have a Minnesota North Stars shirt on, t-shirt on that Frank Vogel liked, by the way, when I walked back onto the plane. And, you know, and I had to, part of the reason was because I had to match it uh, with um, with some particular Kobe sneakers, you know, and the one of the flight attendants comes up and she's like, oh, I need something like that for St. Patrick's Day. And I went to the dollar store. Oh, by the way, it's a $1.25 store now. And I said, what? The dollar store is a dollar twenty-five now. Did you guys know that? Inflation's a bitch. Man. <laughs> it just kind of ruins the. You can't call it the dollar twenty-five store though. It's like you still call it no. the dollar store, but yeah. everything's a dollar twenty-five. It's just that's a rough. That's a rough one. I don't have a solution for that. The dollar twenty-five store <laughs> Do, so doesn't we, quite we, roll off the tongue. It certainly does not. Just want to just want to put that out there. I know it's random. You know, you, you please you, you can take you, us back to basketball. No, Matt, you can find some good things at the dollar store, you know, or the dollar twenty five store. And check the segue out. That's what Jerry West did <laughs> in right after Magic retired. Right is I think that in both scenarios, um, in both scenarios that you guys were talking about, and the answers to your question to to that question of third star versus depth is you got to get small wins either way. I view the Lakers as very much home run hitters that we are usually going to air toward talent. Like if we can get a talented player, the most talented player that we can, we will try to figure out how to fit them in. Now that has not worked out this season, certainly. And that's the thing about home run hitters is they also strike out more than other other people do. But getting those singles is very important. And so Magic retires suddenly in November of 91. And the three-year period or the five-year period between then and when Shaq signed, which was, I think, our announcement that we are now contenders again. It took a few years to actually win the title, but that was when the Lakers became serious title contenders when Shaq signed. There's a five-year period where you go very suddenly from trying to build a championship team and find those supplemental pieces. I remember, what was his name? Uh, Sherman Douglas. We were excited in 1991 
about the Lakers pursuing Sherman Douglas. They signed him to a poison pill contract in restricted free agency where they, they didn't end up getting him, but Sherman Douglas was a point guard for Miami. And one of the difficulties that we had in the 91 finals was Scottie Pippen ball pressuring Magic Johnson. And we didn't really have another ball handler that could help alleviate that and get into our, our offense and whatnot. So we ended up with Sedale 3. And Sedale was supposed to be our backup point guard who had a very good tenure for the Lakers over the course of three three years or so when he had to start suddenly because Magic got replaced. But there were a bunch of smaller moves within there as well, drafting Nick Van Exel in the second round. All of a sudden, you got a good player there. Eddie Jones with the 10th pick in the 94 draft. They trade a late first for Cedric Sabalos. They end up getting Doug Christie. They they move Sam Perkins. They let AC Green walk in 93 to the Phoenix Suns in free agency. And so over the course of the next couple of years, you end up getting all of these small wins, these singles and doubles that all of a sudden become quite appealing to a star player. And I think in some ways, that's what we did in the draft over coming into this period of time where that season before LeBron signed, and now mind you, our standards for how good we have to be for a superstar to consider joining us, I think are a lot lower than other places because we're the Lakers, it's LA, all, all of that institutional advantage stuff. But we were like a 35-win team that was pretty fun, that, that played hard on most nights. They were young, there was, but there were enough wins between your Josh Hart's and your Kyle Kuzma's and Julius Rand. You know what I'm saying? Where we had a good team, like kind of that structure in place. And that is the commonality, I think, between that third star build, depth, what have you. That depth, I think, really is important. And getting those smaller wins, I think, is part of the purpose of the end of this season, D, is that Austin Reeves, can we get something out of Stanley Johnson? Can Wenyan Gabriel be an 11th man or a 12th man? Answering those types of questions, I think getting those small wins brings it into today and what the rest of this season can accomplish, and even uh, in the offseason as well. Yeah, I think the idea of who your young players are going to be next season and who is worth keeping an eye on versus who is maybe not in the plans and starting to get a better feel for that over the next stretch of games to end the regular season and hopefully into the play-in and then hopefully into the first round of the playoffs, I think is super important. I think getting a better sense of what kind of tests and what kind of hurdles these players can clear is super important, right? Because the thing I will say, and Mike, I'd, I'd love your thoughts on this because I think this is a perspective that you bring a lot to the calm conversation that I think is important, is what you learn isn't always what you think you learn. Because the framework of the games isn't such that it's actually telling you something that's useful, right? And so... What do you mean by that? What I mean is, is that right now the Lakers are sort of fighting for their lives, but they're kind of not. Right. They're sort of locked into position. They're getting a lot of good effort from teams and then they're getting literally zero effort from from teams for substantial portions of the game where it's just like, oh, wow, look at this guy. He's really going off for like the Lakers. You had talked about this in yesterday's pod, Pete, about THT. It's just like, oh, man, you're a garbage time all star. All right. Well, guess what? Garbage. There's no garbage time in the NBA finals. Nope. Right. Or in the conference finals or in the second round of the playoffs in game six, where it's a three two, someone's got a three two lead. And it's just like, well, this is going to decide the series. What happens next? 
right? There's no garbage time in those games. And that's where you need to learn. Like, you hopefully already have learned, I should say, about what you have on your roster before you get to that point. Because you have to rely on players. And so, Mike, I am I am in agreement with Pete about the idea of what you can what some of the goals are for this last last stretch of the season, particularly around small wins. But I'd love to get your thoughts just about that, where that butts up against the idea of how meaningful some of these games are for the Lakers right now and how much value can they actually place on some of these things that they're seeing in games and how the players sort of break out from that idea. I wish I had more ideas and answers uh, for this next little stretch here it's like they're the road losses have been mounting and not a lot of games have been that competitive and it came out of that brooklyn game of course where lebron lebron and everybody played pretty well and then lebron's knee got sore and so that you know that lasted that feeling lasted for a little while in terms of the kind of the depressing portion of that and then once lebron came back and they had a couple games with ad and then ad went down and, and so since that point at home i think a home crowd especially a lakers home crowd especially with with lebron and you know his ability to feel that and re- respond to that they've they've shown that they can even beat good teams you know, when when all of that comes together, but it do, it's not going to come together every game. And on the road, it's especially difficult to create those types of mental advantages when you don't have either some combination of the talent or the depth or the size or whatever it is or the confidence. And so when they go out onto the floor in these road arenas and the other teams can sense that they can sniff that like tonight's game is against a Minnesota team that is playing as well at home as anybody in the league. As you guys know, I'm from here. And for years, years, this has been the lowest energy crowd. And mm-hmm. all of my, from a watching league pass and just kind of talking to people here, crowd is nuts right now here. They're into it. The players are, they've, the players have done a great job of engaging the fans. It's been like Patrick Beverly and even D'Lo to an extent. And, and you just, you give a, a fan base that's been down a reason to believe, and all of a sudden it goes zero to 60 real quick. And the Laker fans know what that is so much more, and they can call upon it when they sense it. Like if LeBron is you know building, okay, boom, it's there. And they'll, cap, they'll capture that feeling, that vibe, and they'll push through a whole game. And it seems like most of the teams the Lakers are going to on the road, especially just considering how the Lakers are playing, are finding that feeling pretty early. And I think the Wolves are going to find it pretty early tonight. I think the Raptors are going to find it. And then all of a sudden you're getting to Washington on a back-to-back. And all right, well, is LeBron going to be able to play both sides of that one? So it's just a – I don't have answers as to how the Lakers can win these next two games. You know, unless something just weird happens and every three goes in and they're feeling a momentum and the other team gets tight. I don't don't know. It's just – and we haven't been in this spot since certainly the three of us started potting together, even earlier in the season when there was some reason whether it was LeBron and AD happened to be playing or this this sort of lull had yet to really seep in. And if you got any for me, please. But I'm it's hard to, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to not think this is going to be a tricky game in Minnesota. Too. 
Certainly. And that's why this part of the season, while we haven't experienced this as we've potted together, we've seen a couple versions of this Lakers team kind of in that playing out the string. And now, mind you, there is still the play the play-in game, which I don't particularly like. I don't think a team that's performed the way the Lakers have should have a shot at the postseason. <laughs> I like it for right? the NBA, though. I, I get I get that on an individual team, but I think the league wide excitement and and sort of staying connected to it is good. But that's I, a I agree. Discussion. I, I agree with that. I think the play-in's in the wrong place. I'd rather have it be. I'd rather have there be six playoff teams, if that's the case, and have it for the five six. And anyway, that that wow. would or. Yeah, I, I think it's in the wrong spot. I think that this many teams, again, we shouldn't be in the playoff picture. And so we'll that, do a pot on that in May or something. We we will. Yes, yes, we we will. But until the Lakers show me with their performance, like, look, I especially with the available roster without AD, it plays so much into the existing weaknesses on the team. Like, I know this is not a good team. That said, like going down 22 to 2, 24 to 2 is a different thing. Like you're NBA players, this is not. And so until they show a certain degree of fight as a team, the wins that I'm looking for are more on the individual level. Until they show that more fight as a team, I'm less concerned with the results of this game or that game. And more like when we were playing out the end of LeBron's first season where he was hurt toward the end of the year, like who's the Alex Caruso that's going to give – Lou Will and the Clippers, a random 32 and 10. And that team wasn't good. They lost a bunch of games, Mike. But there are certain guys that are, I think this is a great environment for those who are internally motivated, those who don't look toward LeBron and be like, you're going to be the person, reason why I do or don't play hard and focus today. So I, it, it's like, this is one of those where I totally agree with you, but it's a, so a lot of those teams that struggled were all young teams, but they had lottery picks on them. And so, yes, you mentioned Caruso, but most of the time it was it was a Randall or a Russell or sure. an Ingram or and there's a different level. That's what a lot of the young teams are right now. Right. So I this team doesn't necessarily have that guy. This sort of the now I guess THG would be the best, you know, the best approximation of that or, you know, or even Reeves. But Reeves has already played really well this year. And he's we've seen him kind of play best when he's around good players. As opposed to the guy, like, did you notice, we noticed Reeves a lot in Summer League, but were people talking about him in Summer League? No, because he's a good team player. He's not a guy that's going to go out and, you know, and and sort of put up 25 and, and 8. So, I don't know, man. I'm, but I, I don't disagree with you either. So, is there, can can one of these guys have a game like that in these next couple? Uh, that would be, that would be encouraging to see, no doubt. I'd love for Monk or for Austin or for THT to just, uh, Monk and THT especially, I think. They're the guys who have the most bandwidth for usage, and they're the guys who have the most bandwidth for like explosiveness within their games, right? Who who are not, you know, born in the early part of 1980s or whatever, right? Like you look at a guy like LeBron or Carmelo, those dudes are like, okay, well, they're in their 19th seasons, right? Like if they catch fire, especially LeBron, like, okay, we know what LeBron is capable of. Melo has a boatload of career points. If he finds it one night, fantastic, right? But Monk and THT, I think they are the pivot guys, Pete. And I think they're the pivot guys for this upcoming stretch of games that Mike was talking about. And I think that they're the pivot guys in terms of the idea of like, show me. Yeah. Show me, right? Because their role on next year's team is yet to be defined. I think we're going to have a 
like way more than half of the roster is going to turn over. And so Again. THC may not need to be that wing off ball player, right? He can he can be a, a guard on next year's team. So th- that opportunity to show us is there. It definitely is. We'll have so many more team building conversations over the next few months. I do hope the rise is as quick as what this fall has felt like though, to sort of stay on theme and to put a little bow on our conversation. The Lakers do have a way of pulling rabbits out of hats when it comes to the rapid rebuild, whether it's the, oh, yeah, remember Andrew Bynum? He's actually good now. Yep. Right? Oh, and they still have that Kobe Bryant guy. And and wow, this team is suddenly a contender and out of nowhere. And the Lakers can do that in ways that other organizations can't and haven't traditionally. And and so this season's far from over, but I do have an eye on what it can look like a year from now. And when I project out, I do start to think about some of the young guys because they're the guys who need to sort of show that they have the ability to absorb some of that like upward trajectory and propel the team forward a little bit. And it starts potentially tonight in a hostile environment, as Mike has said, that hasn't always been so hostile against a team that particularly this team, I think, has quite enjoyed kicking the Lakers' butts in the exact way that they've kicked their butts several times this season already. Yeah, and that's what I expect tonight as well. But all the more reason for the Rose to grow through the concrete, right? Very curious who thrives in, in these circumstances. All right, we'll be back tomorrow to cover how the game went. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clocked out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.